You know, our scripture for today has never made sense to me. It's pretty obvious that she didn't give more than others who were giving that day. What in the world did Jesus mean? If we uh, look at the value of the money put in the treasury, it would be obvious that she barely placed anything in the basket. But I believe that Jesus was maybe looking at something else that day. They were required by law to give about 30% of their household income, whatever that was, grain, uh, whatever their line of business was. And what it was is... uh, Uh, Each year was about 20%, and then on the off year, there was another tithe added to that. And so um, many years, there was a 30% tithe. And so, you know, from year to year, guessing around 25%, uh, all Jewish people uh, gave of whatever they made that year. So um, if we stick with that, 25% is just something to work with. If we calculate that back, she had eight coins, and she gave two coins, and therefore has six coins to live on. Now, we learn that two of those coins is worth one penny, all right? So uh, she has six coins or three cents left to live on. Are you with me through that? So, in other words, we know that she gave two coins. 25% is what they're required to tithe. We can work that back to eight to- coins. So that way she was, had six coins remaining. Now, just so we're comparing apples to apples here. Do you all know what I mean by that? All right. Just so we're comparing apples to apples. Uh, when someone else comes along that day, and let's say, just for easy figuring, that they have 10,000 of these copper coins. Okay? They are also required to give 25%. Therefore, they put 2,500 coins in the treasury. Do you see where I got that? Okay. And they are left with 7,500 coins to live on. Right? They had 10,000, gave 2,500. They're left with 7,500 to live on. So, now, going back to what Jesus said, do you see how her tithe of two copper coins was much larger than the other person's 2,500 coins? Can you follow that? She had six coins left to live on. The other person had 7,500 coins to live on. Which would you rather have? It can be seen today in the same way. Now, don't be going off, chasing a rabbit or or whatever, like Eric has a tendency to do. Stick with me here today. Um, I I think this is a very important thing. I I have learned a lot while I've been been studying this because it really puts some things together in my own mind and spirit as far as this is concerned. So uh, uh, stick with me, please. So... uh, Today, if we bring this fast forward to the 21st century, if a man has a family of six, and it doesn't have to be a man, if a person has a family of six and they make $40,000 a year, 
So this family of six, they have $40,000 a year income. And they tithe, right? What would that tithe be? $40,000 a year if they tithe. That would be $4,000 a year would be their tithe, right? So they have $36,000 left. They pay taxes, right? So they're going to end up with about $24,000 to feed a family of six. Do you follow me? Math lesson 101, all right? Now, if a childless couple makes the same $40,000 a year, I just want to make it simple for everybody here, okay? If, the same, or if a childless couple makes the same $40,000 a year and tithes, again, they have what? $36,000 left, right? $4,000, they tithe to their church. They have $36,000 left. They have to pay taxes, and since they're dinks, dual income, no kids, right? They have to pay a little bit higher taxes, so let's say they have $22,000 left over from their $40,000 paycheck to support two people. Now let me ask you this. Would you rather have the $22,000 to support two people or the $24,000 to support six people? It's all right to have an opinion. There is no wrong answer, right? Yeah, I mean, um, there is, if you look at it, the childless couple is so much more better off feeding two people, whatever the expenses are for two people, versus the family that has, and of course we could get into this, uh, the uh, family would probably pay another $25,000 just in health insurance. which if you're really quick, that's a negative number. But anyway, so you can see how it will be much more difficult to the person with six mouths to feed, but much easier for the couple with just two, all right? So that's the same thing we're looking at when Jesus said this poor widow gave two mites or something that ends up being one cent, essentially, is worth much more than the person who is rich and has thousands and thousands more to live on after the tithe, right? So how do we deal with this dilemma? And in my reading, I've come across what is called generous grace giving. Generous grace giving. Now, if we really look at this, and if you really study it, and you don't allow what you have learned in the past to cloud your judgment, this is a New Testament standard. Generous grace giving. Now, the problem is when you say grace, a lot of people unfortunately connect with the hang loose, undisciplined living, or, you know, no matter what I do, it's fine, right? Um, grace, right? Isn't that, isn't that grace? But uh, that is not grace. And the first time I heard this was in seminary. Uh, the theologian uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Are you following me today? Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Do you hear me this morning? 
On the other hand, grace isn't the balance point between legalism and wastefulness. Rather, grace is a system. It is totally opposed to both legalism and wastefulness, which are two sides of the same coin. Legalism and wastefulness wastefulness, both... Try to say that five times real quick, will you? They both operate on the principle of the flesh. Legalism is an attempt to earn standing with God, right? Uh, If I work hard enough, if I am successful at this, I can stand before God, right? It leads to pride. It leads to condemnation. Depending on how well you do, of course. Licentiousness or wastefulness casts off restraint and lives to gratify the flesh. You know, I don't even know the third couple, but you know this $1.6 billion that was won. Surely you've heard about that. Is there anyone who has not heard about the jackpot, all right? You know, my dreams, uh, quite honestly, you know, who knows? I don't see me living much different. But I wouldn't be in debt. I know that for sure. Right? But I dream about, I would love to walk down the street like that guy does in Kansas City and give out, is there $1,000 bills? Anyway, whatever. You understand what I mean? Just, just do it. Wouldn't that be so awesome? Right? Or, or, I don't know. I just think about what I could, what, if, if I'd give tithes to this church. And then, of course, as a pastor, I'm going, oh, dear God, that would just ruin the giving in the church. <laughs> but, but, you know, these are the things that I dream about. And I'm not putting myself anywhere. That, that's honestly what I think about. And then I heard one of these guys interviewed. Now, the couple that was on NBC that morning, was they seemed pretty humble. They didn't really say what they were going to do with it. But this one guy says, oh, I'm going to buy a boat. I'm going to buy boats. Boats, boat." You know, I'm like, please excuse me. But I was like, what an idiot. I mean, that's honestly, that's a confession here. That's what I thought. Think of all the amazing things that you could do in this world with money like that. Right? And believe me, it's not build a football stadium. Wastefulness casts off restraint and lives to gratify the flesh. You see, God's grace is His unmerited favor based on Christ's sacrifice. The Greek word is hares. Hares. The unmerited favor of God freely bestowed upon those totally unable to return the favor. And you know what? To be honest with you, and, and the best example I can find and I ever have found is an infant baptism on this Greek word for grace. I mean, think about it. That baby eats, sleeps, and Courtney, what else do they do? <laughs> Poop. Wake you up in the middle of the night. What in the world have they ever done to deserve anything? Ladies, your bodies will never be the same because of that child. Right? Believe us, us husbands won't either. But listen to this. 
the unmerited favor of God freely bestowed upon those totally unable to return the favor. The motivating power and grace is the indwelling Spirit of God. The person under grace responds out of love and gratitude to God and depends upon the indwelling Holy Spirit to conform their life to what God requires. With, with that basic understanding of grace, let me spell out some things that grace giving is not and then some things that grace giving is. And I promise I'll wrap it up at that point. So grace giving is not... It is not random and irresponsible. It does not mean that you give every now and then. It does not mean, oh, hey, I'm going on vacation. I won't have to give to the church. I can use that money for my vacation. It's not hit or miss. Rather, as um, it is planned and it is systematic. And a couple of scriptures I want to lift up to you there. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 and 2 Corinthians 9, Seven, And this is one reason why we have the online giving. If you go onto our website or our app and you click on donate, right, it'll take you um, to e-giving and you can set up, you can just give once if you want, or if you want to set it up for a monthly gift. It doesn't matter if you're in Alaska, Dana, right, it will automatically take that out of your account. And your tithe, your gift, your grace giving will be given to the church. So, grace giving is not random and irresponsible. Grace giving is not based on feelings. Being under grace does not mean living by feelings. Living under grace means walking by faith and obedience in response to God's love. Have you noticed what is this in response to? Every single thing. Oh, come on, please. God's grace, God's love, God's gift to you. Three, usually less than the requirement of the law. Grace giving is not usually less than the requirement of the law. Like I said earlier, if we want to stick with the law, by by the way, when I'm talking here, I'm talking about giving to the church. I'm not talking about Red Cross and the school and everything else. I'm talking about a biblical giving to the church, right? And if we want to stick with the law, the law is 25 to 30% of your year, yearly income should come to the church if we want to stick with the law. Tithing isn't even really mentioned in the New Testament. So if we want to stick with the law, we need to get up closer to... 30% because 10% is absolute minimum, right? All right, so, so when, you're, when you're thinking about this, um, there is no less than. If you think about Jesus, let me put it this way. In the Old Testament, for me to commit adultery, I would have to literally commit adultery with a woman. In the New Testament, what did Jesus say? If I look at a woman... In a lustful manner, what have I done? I've committed adultery. Right? You see how Jesus stepped it up. I remember preaching a sermon, and I think I, what was it, what's that? Uh, uh, bam, that's what it is. Emerald Lagasse. Jesus put a little bam in there. Remember Emerald Lagasse? 
Yeah, yeah. See, Jesus took it. I got to actually physically do it. Time thinking about it. Bam! That's adultery. Put a little bam in it, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Please tell me that I'm not. All right. I mean, he listed several things. Hey, it was this way before. But now you think about it, buddy. And guess what? Bam! You hear what I'm saying? So if anything, it is more, not less. Grace giving is not giving God the leftovers. God deserves the best, not just what is convenient. I would have the best cow or the best sheep or the best goat that I could get the most absolute money from, and I would give it to God as a sacrifice. Right? Remember, Jesus put a little bam in it, right? Same thing applies with what we have now. We give our best to God. Why? Because of all, God deserves it. If we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we won't just give Him what's left over after the bills are paid. He deserves first place. Thus, grace giving is not sloppy. It's not irresponsible. It's not haphazard. uh, Whenever we feel like it type giving. However, grace giving is based on God's example in Christ. Another scripture, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Aren't you glad that God didn't just give 10%? I mean, if you think about it that way, let me see. If we had 10 kids, then I would have to choose which child can have salvation. Isn't that 10%? Sorry, Stephen. (laughs) But... The Lord Jesus Christ was infinitely rich. He dwelled in the unimaginable splendor of heaven. Apart from the sin and corruption of this world, He gave all that up. He laid aside His privileges and He took on human flesh. He could have chosen to be born a prince, but instead He was born and lived in poverty. He ultimately impoverished Himself to the maximum by taking upon Himself the sin of every human in order that we might become rich. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Grace giving looks to the nail-pierced hands of Lord Jesus who gave Himself so that we might be rescued from the wrath of God and says, Lord, You gave all for me. What can I give back to You? Now, youth, you may be thinking, holy cow, this has absolutely nothing to do with me. To be right honest with you, it is easier for you than anybody else in this room to do what I'm talking about. Because when it gets hard, it's when you have mouths to feed, when you have a roof over your kid's head that you have to pay for, when you have things like personal property tax, income, and social security. Those people could care less what problems you have. Right? Right now, you don't have that. It would be easier for you to start great habits right now 
in your life. So, grace giving is based on God's example in Christ, and it is based on the concept of stewardship. You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6.19 All that we are and have belongs to God, not just a tenth. I am merely the manager of God's resources. As a good manager, I use the owner's, right? The owner's resources to further his work. Grace giving is based on inner motivation, not outward compulsion. 2 Corinthians 8. Motive and attitude are crucial. It's better to give a small amount based on a loving response to God's grace than it is to give a large amount based on outward pressure or pride. If we were to look in 2 Corinthians at the attitude of the Macedonian believers, they had an abundance of joy. This 2 Corinthians 8 that I was talking about. They gave of their own accord. 8.3, they begged with much entreaty for the faith, for favor of Jesus. 8.4, first they gave themselves to the Lord. 8.5, they had both the readiness and desire. 8.10 and onwards, then they cheerfully, not grudgingly, gave under compulsion. We should not think, how much do I have to give to that church? But rather, how much can I give to that church? You hear the difference? How much do I have to give to that church? How much can I give to that church? Right? Now, I know I'll probably get some emails and some phone calls. Preachers shouldn't be talking about this in church. And quite honestly, anyone who has worshipped here knows that I could probably count on one hand how many times I've done this in nine years. But here's the thing. Giving is a spiritual discipline. I don't back off on the other spiritual disciplines when I preach. Why would I back off on the spiritual discipline of giving? You know, God called me to ministry... And quite honestly, God ordained me into ministry and placed me right here. And nothing against all y'all. But I think I better listen to God. Amen. See, we shouldn't be asking, how much do I have to give? We should be saying, how much can I give? How much can I give. We shouldn't wait for someone to pressure us with a need. We should look for needs that we can meet. Christians ought to give based on their inner motivation, not their outward pressure. Grace giving is based on these things. God's example in Christ, the concept of stewardship, inner motivation, not outward compulsion. You know what really upsets me? You know those Rescue commercials. Now, each and every one, well, most of you know, I absolutely love pets. If I've come to your house and you have a dog, I, I, it's hard for me not to get down on the floor and roll around with them, right? But those commercials absolutely irritate me. Right? The sappy music underneath of it. Why don't they just say, you know what? We have this many animals that are abused. 
This many animals a year die because of that abuse. Man, I would be much more prone to give to them if they just share that information rather than trying to pull my heartstrings. I know I'm different than a lot of people. Right? They need to just give me the information. Whenever people pressure you to give, I would very seriously look at that organization. That's the primary reason why I don't talk about this very often. Because it's not me that's going to pay for your stinginess. Right? I mean, quite honestly, this this church has its problems. And for you visiting, I I apologize, but it's the truth. Um, You know, we used to have a guy by the name of Justin Grifford. Awesome associate. I almost said Austin. Um, awesome associate pastor. And as a matter of fact, has anyone seen his video out on, on uh, yeah, it is amazing. You know those commercials where, <clears throat> who is the actor that does that? He's on, always on football and he says, this is uh, the rich, this is the, it's direct TV. But anyway, and then he always dresses up like a nerd or something else and says, this is the other me. Well, uh, Justin, anybody that knows Justin, you can imagine him doing that. That's what, what it's all about. Um, but anyway, whenever, whenever he left, we were all so sad. He was just amazing. I mean, a church this side, size never gets a person, very rarely gets a person with a master's of divinity degree, let alone a husband and wife with a master's of divinity degree, right? We were so blessed with their personalities and such. But when they left, Randy Eaton and I, who was our finance chair, you know, I had to take the pastoral hat off for a minute and put on the business hat, which is hard for me to do. And we got to talking, well, this might be a good thing because the money that was going into his salary will allow us to catch up on other things in the church, right? Doesn't that make logical sense? Well, guess what happened to the giving? The giving dropped his income. Now, I looked at Randy and I said, what part of my figuring my tithe, what part of that does that have to do with the church budget? Are you following what I'm saying? So let's say I make that $40,000. Does my income change when the church budget goes down? So then why would my gift to the church go down? You see what I'm saying? This is what I'm talking about with selfish giving. Oh, the church doesn't need that. Instead of what can I give the church? Right? The last two years, this church has been held back so much because people, this is the most trustworthy place, the leadership. Oh, my goodness, guys. If you're part, you part of the leadership and you'd see what we go through to make sure that we're transparent and trustworthy, you'd let us just write your bills for you. Right? But you see how that is a selfish thing. Oh, the church doesn't need that anymore, so I'm just I'm gonna give less. And see the thing is the church budget has nothing to do with what you give the church. It wouldn't matter if the church budget was twenty thousand dollars a year. If you give twenty thousand dollars a year, don't let up on that. The church can do a lot more. Think of all the people we could feed and clothe and give medical assistance to, right? 
So, so it has nothing, your giving, my giving, has nothing to do with what the budget of the church is. Am I making sense today? Grace giving is based on God's example in Christ. It's based on the concept of stewardship. It's based on inner motivation, not somebody that can rip your heartstrings, right? Not outward compulsion. And it is based on a new relationship with the Holy Spirit, not the old dispensation of the law. Romans 8.14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Galatians 5.18 says, for if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If we are led by the Spirit, we are not under the law. The context of both passages show that Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit leading the believer into righteous, godly living. But you know what? It sure is easier sometimes to live by rules, isn't it? I always loved my mama when she was teaching. I knew that line, and it didn't matter if I was her favorite son. I was her only son. I knew where that line was. And if I crossed it, see, rules are kind of comforting, aren't they? They tell us where our world begins and ends, don't they? But this isn't talking about rules. This is talking about grace. God wants us to be led by the Holy Spirit. And it's scary. The Holy Spirit actually might want me to give 35% of my income. It's a lot easier when we say, oh, well, my church expects 10%, right? Well, the thing is, Jesus doesn't expect 10%. Jesus expects much more than that. Jesus expects everything because Jesus gave everything. The point is we are not living by rules, but we are living in a relationship with the living God. How much God has prospered you? How much should you give? How much has God, again, how much has God prospered you? Generally, generally we give according to our ability. And in some cases beyond our ability. Sometimes you should give sacrificially. Ouch, that really hurts. Sacrificially. But the general principle is, give as God has prospered you. When God entrusts you to more money instead of spending it on more junk that you have to protect from moths and rust and thieves, you should ask, Lord, how do you want this money used in your kingdom? As God gives you more You should increase the percentage you give, not just the amount. If you have enough to live comfortably, then invest the rest where God pays guaranteed, eternal, amen, dividends. But here's the catch. We need to start giving where we're at. We can't put it off until the day we win the lottery, right? We can't put it off until the day that we're rich. The Macedonians in 2 Corinthians gave in the midst of a great ordeal of affliction. They even gave out of poverty, which many of us need to do. Our scripture this morning told of Jesus commending excuse me, the poor widow who gave all she had to live on. But he was not impressed with the large gifts of the rich because they had much left over and could have given so much more. There was no sacrificial giving involved. Mark 12, 41 is another perspective of that. 
Now, I know this idea may be totally foreign to you, grace giving. We've been raised on the idea of 10% of our household income. That's the goal of disciplined living regarding our money. However, that is the minimum that Jesus asks. And when you, dis- uh, when you begin to study this idea of grace giving, you understand what that means. Generosity and grace giving are built on the qualities we studied with Dave Ramsey a few months ago. Um, if, you free, if you're free from bondage to greed and debt, you won't be enslaved to money. If you're a person of integrity and if you're faithful as a manager, not the owner, mind you, if you're faithful as a manager of your money, then when God supplies you with more, you will prayerfully channel anything above personal and family needs into His kingdom. In this church, we don't use pressure or gimmicks when people give. I want your giving to be between you and God based on your response to the love He has shown you at the cross. I know some of you are sleeping. And that's probably what I'd be doing if I were sitting in your place. But this is important stuff. This is basic spiritual disciplines in your life. When we think that things aren't going right, these are the things that we look at to see why. I want to encourage each of you to study well any organization that uses pressure and fundraising gimmicks. Since you worship here, my hope is that you believe in the work of this church, then give generously as God has prospered you out of love for Him. My prayer is that you invest your life, which means that you invest your prayers, you invest your presence, you invest your grace giving, right? You invest your service, your life into the ministries of this church. Don't assume because we don't use pressure tactics that we don't need your money. I believe it's legitimate to inform the church family about needs so you can give wisely. We have needs to meet our budget, to pay our United Methodist missions, which we call apportionments. If you hear that, it goes all around the world. To invest in the church's ministries so that the leaders you elected can actually have money to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And what is the mission of this church? To make new Christian disciples, right? How about put an elevator somewhere out here so that many of you that have a hard time walking up and down stairs can participate in what's going on in the fellowship hall? How about to buy more property for adequate parking? Do you realize that's the primary reason why a lot of people don't come here? If you have much more than the people that are here now, they're parking over by the old UMB bank so that they can worship with us. Do you think they're going to do that on a day like today? To take care of our staff and put in many more hours. They put in many more hours than we pay for them. This morning, the church just cut at the beginning of the year staff salaries. 
Sheila Coates isn't working here anymore as a, a janitor on Sunday mornings, but she came and she cleaned off the sidewalk. That's the kind of staff this church has. What does a church have to do to help you understand that our ministries are a good and trustworthy investment to bring positive change to this community and to this area? A pastor used to tell me, Eric, a lack of giving is not a money issue. It's a faith issue. Is it a faith issue, folks? I believe the way to meet these needs is to help you, God's people, get your hearts right before God and to teach what the Word says about money and giving. And as we respond to God's grace by giving generously, the needs of this community will be met. Got a story to end with. A farmer who was not much concerned with spiritual matters once went to hear John Wesley preach. And for those of you that don't know, John Wesley and his brother Charles began the movement which became the United Methodist Church. Wesley was preaching about money and he soon had the farmer's attention because his first point was, get all you can. The farmer nudged his neighbor and said, this is unusual preaching. I've never heard the likes of this before. This is good. Wesley talked about hard work and purposeful living. His second main point was save all you can. I'm hoping this is sounding familiar to some of you. The farmer became more excited. Did you ever hear anything like this? He exclaimed. Wesley denounced waste and extravagance, and the farmer was quite happy in this thinking. He said, I do all of this. But then, Wesley advanced to his third point. Does anybody know what it is? Give all you can. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, moaned the farmer. He has gone and spoiled the sermon. (laughs) Get all you can. Save all you can. Give all you can. Grace giving. You know, God has given all for us. He wants us to be cheerful, but He wants us to be generous givers who respond to His grace. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, we love You. And we thank you. And so many times, Lord, we fall short. But we thank you for your grace. We know that all that we have around us is yours. We understand that all that we have personally is yours, God. And it's so easy for us to forget that simple fact. We ask you, Lord, to help us to be led by your Holy Spirit. Help us, God, see you and others. Help us know and just understand when there is a need. And may this idea of generous giving, Lord, become a part of our life. Because sometimes we should be giving so much more than the little bit that we sacrifice to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.